Hey, Crime Sad listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. As you may know, this week has been a crazy week for us. So we appreciate all of you for your patience as you waited a few extra days for this episode. And stick around for the end of the episode to get the scoop on our latest adventure. The deep scoop. And we'd like to apologize in advance. You might hear some background noise. Uh, we have some family over helping us pack, trying to help us like regain our sanity as we kind of adjust to like the new baby. Yeah, so you might occasionally hear a breast pump in the background or a box getting taped. So there's a lot of changes going on here at the Crime Salad Camp. So obviously we're moving. We have a new baby, but we wanted to kick it off and give some shout outs to our newest patrons. We have Ashley, Allison, Corin, and Pam. Thank you guys so much for your support. The gruesome murder of Colleen Ritzer in 2013 shocked everyone. Colleen was a young, well-loved math teacher in a small Massachusetts town, and her killer was a quiet but seemingly kind freshman soccer player with no record, no prior offenses, what made this young boy suddenly snap? The death of any person at the hands of a killer is always terrifying. But today's case, which grapples with understanding how a 14-year-old could suddenly murder his math teacher, is truly frightening. In the fall of 2013, life was good for Colleen Ritzer. After graduating from Assumption University in Worcester, Massachusetts in 2011, she had finally landed her dream job at Danvers High School as a math teacher. Born in May of 1989, Colleen was the eldest child of Thomas and Peggy Ritzer. She had two younger siblings, a brother named Daniel and a sister, Laura. The three Ritzer kids were as close as can be. Colleen and her family had spent most of her life in northern Massachusetts, in smaller cities in the area not far from the coast, just a bit north of Boston. After graduating from Andover High School, Colleen graduated magna cum laude from Assumption University with a major in math, a minor in psychology, with a concentration in secondary education. Even though she had found the job she loved, she was always trying to better herself. So in between longer days in the classroom, Colleen was working on a master's degree at Salem State University. At home, as well as at school, Colleen was well-liked by everyone. One thing everyone seemed to agree on was that Colleen was incredibly kind. She went above and beyond for her students. She would stay after class to help students catch up, communicated with them in ways they were comfortable, like Twitter, and took a personal interest in their well-being. Colleen made sure that no matter what she had going on in her life, she was being good to others. Although she was only just beginning her second year as a teacher, teaching algebra and geometry, her kindness and enthusiasm for her job made students excited to be in her class. She knew that in middle school and high school students often faced extreme peer pressure, bullying, and other social difficulties. She wanted to help all students navigate this emotional and difficult time as best they could. In an essay she wrote for her school, she reminded all students that all of us make a difference. No matter what we do, big or small actions, or how we act, we all possess traits that are unique to ourselves and no one else. 
in the classroom and out, Colleen was dedicated to helping her students feel special, supported, and worked hard to encourage them to believe in themselves as much as she believed in them. In the fall of 2013, Colleen was beginning her second year at Danvers High School in Danvers, Massachusetts. One of her students that year was a 14-year-old boy named Philip Chisholm. He was in her last period math class. Only a few weeks before the start of the semester, Philip had moved with his mother from Clarksville, Tennessee to Massachusetts as his parents had recently got divorced. Rather than staying with his kid, Philip's dad, a military man, moved to Florida as he and Philip's mom separated. In Clarksville, Philip had what seemed to be a pretty good life. Some of his extended family was in town and he was athletic. Philip played soccer at Rossview Middle School and was one of the best players on the team. His coach described him as a great player, nice teammate, and someone who was always very respectful towards the coaches. Though he could be slow to warm up to some people, he was very well liked by the people who knew him in Clarksville. It's never easy being the new kid at school, but when he moved to Danvers, a small, close-knit town, Philip seemed to be getting along relatively well as he started his freshman year. With it still being the start of the year, Philip's classmates hadn't gotten to know him well yet, but no one thought anything negative about him. He wasn't the most popular kid in school by any means, but he seemed to have people to talk to in each of his classes and was slowly making friends. Most people at Danvers High School would agree Philip was reserved, but all in all, he seemed like a pretty normal kid. Because he hadn't been in town for that long and school had only started a few weeks ago, not a lot of people knew him well, but he hadn't given anyone reason to think anything bad of him. The school year started off like any other. Students were slowly adjusting to the routine of classes after a long summer, and the weather had began cooling down. The leaves had turned yellow and were falling to the ground. On October 22, 2013, Colleen asked Philip to stay after class for a few minutes, just to check in with him. One other student was also in the room, as she had come after school for more help with math. During this time, Colleen tried to engage with Philip, wanting to make sure that he was getting along well at his new school. That was just the type of teacher that Colleen Ritzer was. She didn't want any student to struggle, academically or personally, and made sure to check in with everyone. She asked Philip how he was settling into Massachusetts and how it compared to his old home in Tennessee. But as she talked to him, Philip began to become upset. Recognizing his change in tone and not wanting to make him feel uncomfortable, Colleen changed the subject to something less personal. The other student in the room with them also noticed that Philip was becoming more upset. The student noticed that as he grew angrier, Philip began muttering to himself. As their talk ended just before 3 p.m., Colleen left the classroom to go to the restroom while Philip stayed behind. As Colleen was walking down the hallways, Philip stuck his head out the door to see which direction she had headed. He went back into the classroom for just a few seconds and then left the room. This time, the hood of his light blue sweatshirt pulled around his face. He walked down the hall towards the bathroom and put gloves on. About a minute after Colleen entered the bathroom, Philip walked in. Philip, following Colleen down the hallway and into the restroom, was caught on surveillance footage at the high school. 
But what happened in the bathroom had to be inferred by forensic evidence at the crime scene and during the autopsy. One other high school student may have witnessed some of the crime, but didn't know what she was seeing while Philip and Colleen were in the bathroom. The student walked in, but quickly left when she saw what she thought was someone changing clothes. There was a pile of clothes on the floor and she saw someone's exposed bottom. A few minutes later, Philip can be seen leaving the bathroom carrying Colleen's black pants. But Colleen is not seen on the surveillance footage again. Philip gathered his belongings from Colleen's classroom and went to the bathroom. This time, he was dragging a large recycling bin and wearing a black ski mask over his face. He had changed out of his light blue hoodie into a red jacket. He is seen on the video wheeling the large bin into the bathroom and staying in there for a moment and then leaving the bathroom with the bin. He drags it all the way outside and across the parking lot. During this time, it seems Philip may have some plan, but he's not especially efficient or secretive. Philip passed multiple teachers and students in the parking lot and on campus. He goes in and out of the building and changes his clothes three times. Chillingly, no one had any idea what was in the recycling bin that Philip was wheeling around or what he had just done. Meanwhile, Philip's coach and teammates began to worry about him when he didn't show up for soccer practice that afternoon. Initially, some of the team began to worry that he was either hurt or had been kidnapped. And as a dedicated athlete, it wasn't like him to not show up to practice. Philip's mom, Diana, also began to worry when she couldn't find him after practice. By early evening, after learning that he hadn't showed up for practice, Diana called the police and reported her son missing. After contacting the cell phone company, police were able to track Philip's phone to the Hollywood Hits Theater. But Philip wasn't there. He had bought a ticket, but then he left. When they tried to ping it again a little while later, there was no results. In order to find Philip, police alerted the public on social media of his disappearance. At 9 p.m. that evening, with no leads on Philip's whereabouts, the school principal put out an email to the staff, alerting them to his disappearance. While Philip's mom, the police, and Amber High's principal were looking for Philip, Colleen's parents were also growing concerned about their daughter. Not one to not reply to a message or to not let her parents know her plans, she never made it home after work, and no one had heard from her or seen her after the school day ended. Tom and Peggy drove to Danvers High School and found that Colleen's car was still in the parking lot. They searched through the school as best they could, but they didn't see any sign of her. They contacted others who knew Colleen, including another math teacher who worked with Colleen at Danvers, but no one had seen her. At 11.20 p.m. that night, only a few hours after Philip's mother reported her son missing, the Ritzers reported their daughter as missing. Colleen's co-workers, who knew Colleen was missing, and had just received the email that Philip was missing, became very suspicious and called the principal. Two people from the high school couldn't be found, and police had learned that Philip was in Colleen's last period class. 
There seemed to be a strong possibility that these two cases were related, but police didn't seem to know how. There was some blood in the bathroom and some blood found in the recycling bin outside the school. Neither Colleen or Philip had not been found. About an hour after Colleen had been reported missing to police, a little after midnight, Philip had been picked up by police in Topsfield, a small town of 7,000 just north of Danvers. Philip was seen walking down the side of a dark highway carrying a backpack. Police pulled over to make sure the young man was all right. When they noticed blood on him, they patted him down and searched his backpack. And in his backpack, investigators found a bloody box cutter, a mask, gloves, and his sweatshirt. He was also carrying Colleen's credit cards, driver's license, and underwear. When asked about the blood, Philip only replied, the girl. Fearing the worst for Colleen, police took Philip into custody that night. A few hours later, in the early morning hours of October 23rd, Colleen Ritzer's bloody body was found in the woods by the school, about 60 feet from where the recycling bin was found. She had been poorly covered with leaves and other debris. The autopsy found that Colleen had been stabbed 16 times and her throat had also been cut. She was raped twice, once with a tree branch that was found nearby. Colleen's empty purse, bloody clothes, and the bloody gloves were found close by. And chillingly, there was also a folded up, handwritten note near Colleen that read, I hate you all. Philip was questioned after he was found walking in Topsfield, but he wasn't immediately charged with Colleen's death. In the trial, the defense would argue that Philip Chisholm's interview with police should not be accepted as Philip's mother asked for a lawyer. But Philip didn't. Given that he was 14 years old, Philip was seen as old enough to consent to questioning and ask for a lawyer himself, meaning that his mother's insistence on a lawyer didn't matter. During the questioning, Philip willingly told authorities that he wasn't looking for help so much as he was looking for an escape. He wanted to go to juvie. During the interview, Philip admitted to killing Colleen but he minimized the extent of her injuries. He said that he hit her and cut her throat twice, only the second time breaking the skin. He also denied any sexual attack. In 2017, Philip's taped interview and confession were unsealed, but they can only be viewed at the courthouse itself, and copies cannot be made. A week after she was killed, a memorial was held at Colleen's church. About 1,000 people came to pay their respects, about 400 of which were Danver High School students, many of which shared the positive impact Colleen had on them during her time as their teacher. At the trial, there was some uncertainty about when Colleen actually died, which Philip's lawyers capitalized on this. They argued that she was dead by the time Philip had moved her into the woods. Because of that, they argued he should be acquitted of the rape in the woods. The prosecution, on the other hand, believed the final cause of death were stabs to the neck, which appeared to have occurred once he had brought her outside. The argument made by Philip's lawyers, while perhaps legally sound, highlights how the justice system can exploit technicalities, 
often at the expense of a victim. Whether she was dead or alive during that moment in the woods is truly beyond horrific what Philip Chisholm did. Philip's lawyers did not deny that he had committed the crime. Instead, he argued that Philip had a severe mental illness which prompted the attack and that this has been exacerbated by his recent move to a new state and the start of a high school without the support system he had grown up with in Tennessee. One psychiatrist for the defense stated that Philip was hearing voices and having a psychotic break. The defense seemed to suggest that by simply mentioning Tennessee, Colleen had triggered him to become so enraged at her that he could no longer control himself, and that's why he attacked her. Less than a year later, while the trial was slowly proceeding, Philip attacked a second woman, a worker at the Metropolitan Youth Center. It appears, based on the surveillance footage at the detention center, that Philip followed a woman into a staff locker room area and attacked her. He started choking her and tried to stab her with a sharpened pencil. She screamed out as he punched her. Luckily, this time the woman was rescued by other guards and she was not seriously injured. Philip's methods in the second attack seemed markedly similar to how he killed Colleen. In Massachusetts, adults found guilty of first-degree murder are sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Those tried as juveniles, however, cannot be given life without parole and instead would typically be eligible for parole after 40 years. Given his crimes, Philip Chisholm was charged as an adult, and in December of 2015, Philip Chisholm was found guilty of armed robbery for stealing Colleen's credit cards, raping Colleen Ritzer in the bathroom at school, and murder. He was acquitted of the charge that he also raped her with the tree branch where he left her body. Philip showed no emotion as the convictions were read aloud. At the sentencing, Philip was given life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years for the murder charge and 40 years each for rape and armed robbery. These sentences were to be carried out concurrently, meaning that he would be eligible for parole after 40 years when he is in his mid-50s. Colleen's parents were not pleased with the sentencing outcome, saying that evil cannot be rehabilitated, and that they were devastated and feeling betrayed with Judge Lowry's inability to give three consecutive life sentences without parole. They also said this guilty verdict, while the beginning of justice for Colleen, is certainly no cause for celebration, as there can never be true justice for the crime committed. There remains a tremendous absence in our lives, one that sadly can never be replaced. In the years following their daughter's death, have not given up the quest to hold more people responsible for Colleen's death. They put forth a lawsuit against the town of Danvers, the Danvers High School architect, and a cleaning company for emotional distress related to the handling and failure to prevent Colleen's murder. The family claimed that the town was negligent in keeping their daughter safe at school and that they did not alert the family once it had been known that she had been attacked. They also said the cleaning crew had potentially cleaned away blood at the crime scene in the bathroom and that they did not report their findings to police quickly enough. Lastly, they blamed the architectural design and implementation of the security cameras at the school as a contributing factor in Colleen's death. 
The only lawsuit allowed to stand was that against the architect of the school. The architect argued that they were not responsible for how the cameras were used once they were installed and not at fault for the lack of real-time monitoring. Though they still struggle with the events that led to Colleen's death, the Ritzers have worked to honor their daughter's legacy. The Colleen E. Ritzer Memorial Fund was founded to foster a society of compassion with kindness as a motivating influence in all its endeavors. Re-owned for her kindness, zeal for life, teaching, and love of family, the organization emulates Colleen's compassion through scholarships, grants, and other programs with kindness and education at their core. The Memorial Fund host Step Up for Colleen, a 5K walk run to raise money for the scholarships, also in Colleen's name. In the eight years since the scholarship was established, nearly $400,000 has gone to aspiring young educators. The Memorial Fund also hosts fundraisers by selling pink daisies, locally grown by Thomas Ritzer, and sponsors Kindness for Colleen, an event on October 22nd that encourages people to do random acts of kindness by sharing sweet words, being generous, or looking out for one another. You can learn more about these initiatives and Colleen's legacy at ColleenRitzer.org. This murder is hard to comprehend for so many reasons. Colleen was such a sweet and caring person who would never have done anything to purposely upset one of her students. And Philip was just a 14-year-old kid. No one would have any reason to expect this outcome. As Colleen's family has said many times, and as the judge said at Philip's sentencing, there can be no punishment that erases the evil done that day. No matter what facts we learn about this case, it's no easier to understand why Colleen Ritzer's life ended in such a brutal way. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will be with you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. So some of you may be aware, Ricky and I welcomed our little bundle of joy on so cute. August 31st, and he is just so cute. We're so in love. Our other son loves him so much. It's just like so perfect. I feel so lucky and blessed to have like such two beautiful boys. Two big, beautiful boys. Yeah. And they both were big eight pounders. So <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a PB. Yeah. And I can't, I look at him and I think, how in the world was he inside of me? Like, how did he fit? I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, you were pretty big. Yeah. So we just came back from the hospital on Thursday and we did take a few days off. We really appreciate it, guys. Um, just to adjust, we're finally getting into the flow of things. And um, everything with this birth was so much smoother than what I was expecting. Oh my God, it's night and day. Yeah. It was because it was a scheduled cesarean section. So everything, almost everything was planned. Almost everything was planned. We came, what, two weeks early? <laughs> yeah. Well, a week exactly. early from the cesarean. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's how we roll. I yeah, mean, we, it was a 5 a.m. Everything's hectic in our life. It was. It was like 5 a.m. Hey, Grayson said, hey, guys, I'm coming out now. So Ready or not, here we go. And Ricky, he wanted to sleep more. He's like, wait, are you sure we should? Well, well I mean, I, I just started a new job. I was, what, half hour before I would have to leave from work. Yeah, this so is was, the second day of your job. Second day of my new job. So I was trying to, like, 
I don't know. I Not to mention that everything has been so hectic. So it's like we've had times where you're like, this is it. We're going into labor. And or then I've it was had like, dreams where I'm like, I'm in labor, like breathing in my sleep. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I had to really kind of like take it in and be like, is this is this real? Like, is, is this, this happening? Good? I'm like, Ricky, yeah, we actually got to go now. But then your Grab water bags. broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was um, all over the bath. At least it was on a bathroom floor and not like in the bed or anything. Right. So. It's all good. I'm like, are you sweating? Are you sure you're not just sweating? And <laughs> no. then it just kept coming. And I was like, all right. We got to go. We're having a baby. But I did squeeze in a shower. I was like, let me get a shower first. Yeah. <laughs> like I had to do my hair. That's crazy to me. <laughs> Most people are like, call 911. Yeah. No, not call 911. It all worked out. But yeah, we on top of this, we're actually moving in um, next week. So we have our family here and we're just so appreciative of them because they have been helping us so much. Oh, yeah. Both so sides much. of our families. Like my mom and dad came over um, yesterday and they like made us dinner. And it literally like I have like hormonal problems right now but just because of everything. Like I think just changes. You mean always. No, <laughs> no but um, like I just like broke down yours. I was like, thank you so much, mom. You're the best because she just has been like a blessing. I don't know. Everything just seems to be coming together like so much more. I mean, I guess the fact that we're probably what, like 12 years older than we were the first time around. But right. I mean, we were just little kids at the time. Yeah. Our own when kid. we had our first, it was just it was crazy. I mean, I know our lives probably seem a little crazy now, but oof. I mean, I had just started college. Like, yeah. We still didn't know what we were living. Our parents, you were in high school. Yeah. It's just been a crazy thing. I don't know. We'll probably talk about like uh, a lot more later on about like. Kind if of, you guys won't care to hear. Right. Well, mean. yeah. But I mean, I think our story is pretty cool. Like I know everyone has their like their story, but I don't know. I kind of am in love with ours. Yeah. No, I cool. totally agree. <laughs> But yeah, thank you guys so much for sticking around to this uh, end of the episode and hearing our little scoop here of what's going on. Um, it's been a crazy week and we were, we look forward to many more chaotic moments. Not to mention Grayson slept this whole intro. Yeah, he's sleeping right now next to us. That's amazing. He just, he, he must be used to like us talking for the podcast while he was in my, be- in my belly. He's used to you always talking. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, that's my mama's voice. Aww. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Yeah, you need to pump. Pump up the jam. (laughs) That's my pumping song. Pump up the jam. Pump it up.